Who met somebody new tonight? Anybody meet somebody new? How many people slapped exactly 13 high fives? No more, no less. Way to go, Jake. All right. 25 high fives. Anybody beat 25? No one was counting. All right. Good for you. You got it. Man, what a great night so far. Wow, it's late. Okay, I'm going to speed it up a little bit. Y'all good if we stay here for two hours? <laughs> no, that's what I thought. I'm not either. I got to go home. Hey, um, last week was really fun, and we launched kind of college nights for the semester and really anticipating all that God has for us, and uh, I'm pumped to get into it tonight for a few minutes. Before I do, I want to tell you something I'm really, really excited about is next week. So next week is February 1st, right? And so we're going to start the month of February. What it, Like, there's a special holiday in February, right? Middle of February? Groundhog's Day. Okay. Uh, February 14th is all of your favorite holiday, right? Okay. Well, this is taking a turn for the worst here. Um, so Valentine's Day, you guys know, is in February. And so February is the month of love. And so we're going to spend the whole month of February talking about dating. And we're going to talk about relationships and love and all of that awesome stuff. And so I'd really invite you to come back next week, February 1st. We're going to ask the question, are you dateable? Turn to your neighbor and just say, you're dateable. You're dateable. That's for everybody else, not for you. You're dateable. So, um, we're going to get into it next week, and I hope, I hope you'll come. I hope you'll invite somebody. Uh, talking about relationships and dating and all that kind of stuff is one of my favorite things. And so I'm excited for – that wasn't even sarcasm. That was real. I really do love it. So uh, I'm excited to get into it next week. We're going to be asking the question, what does it mean for me to become a godly man or woman so that I can be in a healthy dating relationship? Who doesn't want that, right? So uh, I'm excited. We'll, we'll get into it next week. But tonight – Tonight we're going to go after um, reading some scripture first together. That's a good place to start, right? So I want to read kind of a, a little bit of a chunk of scripture from a story in the Bible. And I'll let you in on a little um, inside secret, I guess, if you didn't know this. Kind of we in the church world a lot of times, you know, I, this is my full-time job. You know that? I love it when people say, so what do you do like for work? I work at the church. It's what I do. So, um, we spend a lot of time thinking about sermon series and, and you know, dateable. We're going to spend four weeks talking on that. And so we were talking about what to do with last week and this week. And typically we kind of bunch them together to kind of make sense. Like we'll go after kind of the same topic for a few weeks. And so I had scheduled what I wanted to talk about tonight. And I just, for whatever reason, didn't feel, I don't know, I just didn't, I, I felt like God was telling me to go a different direction. And so I'm going to kind of call an audible here with what I was thinking and give you something that I really felt like the Lord led me to this morning. And it's a story that I love in the scripture. And so I'm just going to read it. We're just going to read it together. And I'm going to walk through it and just kind of highlight a few things that I think um, God would have us to look at tonight. And we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens, okay? Hey, um, we don't do this a lot, but I would love for you, I know you've been up and down a little bit. I'd love for you to stand tonight as we read scripture. Um, you know, we don't do this every time we read. Maybe we should, but I just, sometimes I think it's important to, with our bodies, acknowledge the reverence of what we're about to read. What we're reading tonight is 
not just, you know, a literary text. We believe that it is divine, that it is, as Paul says, God-breathed, and it has the power to free and the power to do the miraculous in our lives. And so what we're reading tonight, we come to it with humility and with honor of what we're about to read. So I want to read in Mark chapter 2. Sorry, I'm just now giving that to you. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Mark chapter 2. If not, we're going to put it on the screens. Let me just read a little bit of the story here. It says, when he entered Capernaum again after some days, and that's Jesus, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. And seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sons are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, he took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I know we've prayed a lot, but let me just pray. Father, thank you for your word. We come to it. God, we ask that you would make pages and words just come alive to us tonight. May it be more than just a story. May it be supernatural, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. When I was um, a little kid, you would not have found me on stage preaching. Maybe that's obvious, but that's not what I would have been doing. In fact, what I probably would have been doing is standing on a chair somewhere in a Sunday school classroom in the old church that I went to, singing a little song called the B-I-B-L-E. Anybody heard that song? Okay, well, <laughs> you want to come up here and sing it? Okay. Uh, the B-I-B-L-E, it goes something like this. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that is the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Someone say amen. <laughs> yeah, so I love this book that we just read out of. It is really more than a book. It's a library of different books. But it is the only library of books that has withstood the test of time, and it is still relevant, and it is changing lives of people all over the world. But early on, really around Jesus' time, and then the first few decades after Jesus, there, there wasn't a written account of Jesus. It was really all just kind of, translated and told through word of mouth, people were talking about him. 
especially like, like right afterwards. And so you had, you know, if someone would raise a question about Jesus or someone would maybe question even the existence of Jesus, you'd have people speak up and go, no, 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 I was there. Like I saw, I, I saw when they crucified him. I saw when they buried him. I saw when the, the tomb was rolled away and he came out. I saw it. I saw when he healed that woman. I saw when Jesus literally went down into the dirt and he got mud and he put it on the guy's eyes, the blind man's eyes, and his eyes were healed. He's, I saw that happen. You can't tell me Jesus wasn't real. I saw it. But then eventually those people started dying off, and so there had to be like a written account of what happened. So people started putting pen to paper and writing down what they saw of Jesus and the stories and the the experiences they had, and I love the different accounts. Really, in the uh, in the New Testament, the Gospels, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, it's interesting. Matthew was is kind of like a documentary. If you read Matthew, it goes into a lot of detail. If there if there was like a Netflix, I guess Chosen is pretty much that, but like a Netflix special on the life of Jesus. I mean, it would really be taken out of Matthew. There's a lot of detail, a lot of good stuff in there. Luke, Luke was a doctor, so Luke really enjoys the miracles of Jesus. Then you've got John. John was an interesting guy. He was uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Guess who wrote that? John. He wrote that about himself. Isn't that funny? He's like, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. None of you other guys. But John was a little like, John's kind of mushy-gushy. Like he's really into the love thing. So if you're into that too, go read some John. It's a good book. But I, I, like, I like Mark. If you like action. If you're into, you know, the Marvel movies or whatever, you like action, just, just get right to the good action, right? Mark is your book. He's your guy. Mark, it's funny, you pick up in Mark, and, and he just starts right off with, like, adult Jesus. He skips, he's like, I don't have time for baby Jesus. I'm going straight to adult Jesus. He doesn't have any time for eight-pound Seven-ounce baby Jesus. He just goes straight to adult Jesus, and that's why I like it. And so I love to pick up here in verse 1. It says that when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room. So Jesus kind of shows up on the scene, and when we actually get an account of his early life when he was a young boy, we find out he's really like a scholar. He's really smart, and he's, he's raised in their church time, and he's learned all the scripture. He's memorized probably most of the Torah, which is like all of the Old Testament committed to memory. Can you imagine that? So brilliant when it comes time to that. And then he shows up as a teacher. And he shows up as this rabbi, as a teacher, and he's teaching things, but people start to catch on. It's a little bit different than the other rabbis. It's not the same message. In fact, it's a radical message. It's a, it's a message of what he would call the gospel of the kingdom. And he would say, all you other guys are claiming for a Messiah and talking about a, a king that will come and rule. And I'm telling you that I am he. I am the Messiah. And so people gathered because they wanted to find out who is this man. And then when they gathered, they'd find out this man is different. Can I just tell you, that's one of my prayers for us as a ministry. It's one of my prayers for us when you show up on a Wednesday night, that this would be an environment that people could show up and they would go, this man, Jesus, he's different. This man, Jesus, changes my life. It's, it's his presence that changes us. There's something about him. There's something about the atmosphere when Jesus shows up. There's something about being in his presence, and there's something about his teachings. There's something about the life of a follower of Jesus. It's captivating. It's compelling. That's my prayer for us is that we would be that kind of place that people would show up and go, this is different. 
This is different. Let's keep reading. So many people gathered together. There was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic. Now, as I was reading this, it just kind of caught my attention. Like, we don't even give the courtesy of saying what this guy's name is or knowing what this guy's name is. All we know is he's a paralytic. We find out later it's a man. So we know his gender and we know his issue. And it's funny, actually, if you read the Bible, you find out this is kind of common in the scriptures. We get the story of the woman with the issue of blood. We don't get a name. We get the story of a man who was blind or a deaf man. And constantly we get this, like, depiction of a guy or a woman, and we get their issue, but we never get a name. And it just stuck out to me that I feel like it's, it's part of the Bible's way of, of telling us that this is kind of the human tendency, is to just call people out by their issue. And never to actually call them who they are. But just what is their issue and what is their ailment and what's the thing that stumps them? It speaks to the human tendency to label people. We talked about this last semester that maybe you have experienced what it's like to be labeled by your problem, your issue, your ailment, the thing that just haunts you. And you feel like you don't get to actually be known for who you really are. We sometimes don't even give people the courtesy of calling them by their name. We just say, oh, that's the guy with the drinking problem. That's the girl with the image problem. Oh, yeah, that guy, did you hear what he did? Did you hear what she did? It's all about their issues. And I just wanted you to know tonight that Jesus is different. Let's keep reading. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. And then seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, what does he say? Son. Son, your sins are forgiven. See, other people may call you by your issue, your ailment, the thing that keeps tripping you up your past, your history, your mistakes. But I want you to know tonight that Jesus calls you son or daughter, which is a name of loving endearment and of relationship. He's telling you what we have here. I am your father. You know, with my kids, I have two sons. And we, uh, we talk, I don't know if it's weird, but sometimes I'm like, yo, dude, what you doing? Or what's up, bro? I talk to my six-year-old like that, my three-year-old like that. Is that weird? I probably need counseling. But I, I just, I, what's up, bro? But let me tell you something. Whenever I get real serious with them, and in fact, every night when I lay them down for bed and I pray with them, and right before I say, hey, 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 son, listen to me. Son, I love you, son. Because when I use that name, I'm calling into, here's what our relationship is. And I want you to know that you're my son and I love you. It's a term of endearment. It's not just like bro and dude. It's son, I love you. You need to know tonight, I don't know what other people are calling you by, but if you've put your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus, he calls you son. He calls you daughter. You're a child of the most high. Going back to verse 5, I want to read this here. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus is up there preaching, he's teaching, and out of nowhere, some of the roof starts to fall in. 
Can you imagine being in here tonight and all of a sudden some stuff starts happening up here? Be a little scared? The roof starts to fall in and these guys start lowering the paralytic man down on the mat. I don't know if you've heard this story before, but it's fascinating. They start, they rip open the row or the, the roof, and they start lowering him down on the mat because they gotta get him to Jesus. These guys wouldn't be stopped by anything. Nothing could stop them. They had to get this man to Jesus. And then Jesus responds. This is what is crazy to me. He responds to radical, radical action and desperation. It's as if these guys are saying, we don't have any other options. This is our friend. This is a guy that we live in community with. We see him all the time. He's paralyzed. He's out on the road laying on a mat. And we hear about this man named Jesus. He has power to heal. we got to get this man to Jesus, and we don't have any other options. We'll do whatever it takes because we're desperate to get him. And Jesus responds to a radical, I might get embarrassed, I may get made fun of, I may stand out of the crowd a little bit. He responds to that kind of faith. And that's the power of desperation. Jesus, I have no other option but you. I have no option. We seem a little bit crazy when we're in here and we lift our hands. We seem a little bit crazy when we cry out in worship. We cry out in prayer. We seem a little bit crazy when we get excited about the things of God. We seem a little bit crazy when we bury our face in our hands in prayer. We seem a little bit crazy down on our knees asking God to move on our behalf. But it is the radical, desperate cries of his children that he responds to. And I don't know how to exactly figure this out, but God responds to the faith of the four. The men who lowered him, he responds to that by healing the paralyzed. I don't know exactly how that works except for this, that apparently Jesus has compassion on those when other people are radically, desperately moving on their behalf. Do you hear what I'm saying? So that means that you and a couple of your friends could get together and just start praying for a friend and God could move in their life because you got together and started seeking him for them. Do you hear me? Radical obedience. But listen, if you're trying to be Mr. Cool, under the radar kind of Christian, you may miss the miracle. You may miss the miracle. You will never be desperate enough for him. And I got to tell you, I think I'd rather be a little radical and get up close to Jesus than stay on the outside and just watch him from afar. And these men had to get a little bit crazy, a little bit desperate to get their friend to Jesus. They were willing to do whatever it takes. I was listening to an um, interesting podcast this past week. Anybody enjoy podcasts? Um. Anybody into the crime podcast thing? That has nothing to do with my story. I just think that's weird. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's cool. I need to get into it, I guess. Um, what a tangent. Okay. Uh, so I was listening to podcast. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was listening to a, uh, a podcast for the 14th time, and uh, I was really fascinated. It was, it was with a psychologist, kind of counselor guy, and he was talking about addiction. And he was talking about, you know, addiction is not really as much of a disease as it is 
people looking for a way to cope with the pain of life. It's, it's, and, and certainly there's some biological things that maybe predispose you to certain uh, means of addiction, but even at that, you have to choose to get into that. And so addiction is, most people get into addiction because they're trying to look for something to numb the pain of their life. And what he was saying is that we all cope somehow, some way with our pain. It may be big pain, it may be big T trauma, it may be small T trauma. It may be just challenges that you're having with relationships, it may be something with family, it may be whatever, maybe just that you're stressed at school. But we all find ways to cope with the pain of life, even if it's just life is challenging. And there's different ways of coping with it. And so while someone who is carrying the pain of being abused by a parent when they were a child finds relief by taking pills at night so that they can just go to sleep and don't have to think about those things. That's not my problem. That's not my addiction. But I can tell you that oftentimes I feel the pain of the hardship of parenting and the hardship of the things in my life and the shame of feeling like I'm not a good parent. And instead of leaning into God and the community he's given me and my wife, and instead of finding, you know, the, the love and the encouragement that I need there, I just look for ways to numb out. And I just spend hours watching TV at night just trying to not think of how tough it is. Or I spend hours on my phone just trying to distract myself from what I'm really feeling. And I get addicted. I get addicted to numbing out so that I don't have to face the challenges of my life. And I'm guessing you do the same. And so while you may say that one of those coping mechanisms is worse than the other, the reality is that both are trying to cope with pain. And this guy on the podcast was saying, once you realize that we're all trying to cope with the pain of life on no matter what level it is, you will show a little bit more grace to those who have found themselves maybe struggling with some addictions that seem more extreme, like a drug addiction or a sex addiction or alcohol addiction. But the guy said, you have to realize is when people are hurting bad enough, they will resort to, they will resort to horrific behavior that just helps them survive. And he said, this is the part that got me. He said, and you would do the same. He said, you would do the same. And then he said this, if you're hungry enough, if you get hungry enough, if you start starving real bad, even you would go dumpster diving, looking for a little crumbs from somebody's McDonald's bag. See, if you're desperate enough, you'll do whatever it takes. And my point is this, desperation will take you to places that you never thought you would go. And it's true in the positive places of life too. Your desperation for God will take you to places that you never thought you would go. And can I be honest really with you? Is quite frankly, most of us are not desperate for Jesus. Most of us feel like we're doing pretty good in life. Most of us don't have any reason to really go, God, I need you. The song we just sang, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. And here's what's really strange is it's actually in God's kindness that he leads you to a place where you will become desperate for him. 
Now, I don't believe that God is the author of evil, but I do believe that God can cause you to walk through things in your life that are challenging and difficult so that you will have to rely on him more than you do yourself. And most of us don't get desperate for Jesus until we get to a place where we realize I'm a broken, sinful human being with absolutely no ability to rescue myself. I need you, Jesus. But most of us aren't desperate like that. Verse 5 says this, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine being this guy hearing that? I mean, this guy just went through the extreme so that he can come to this man who's been healing people. And he gets down to this guy and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Can I be honest? I think I'd be like, okay, that's great. But what are you going to do about the fact that I'm a paralyzed man? I'd really like for you to heal me, you know. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Thanks a lot, Jesus. I really would like for you to make me not paralyzed. But here's what's true. Jesus knew that he had a deeper issue. He knew that it was deeper than just his physical state. See, here's where I think God was taking me this morning when I was reading this. When what you're experiencing is different than what you were expecting, just trust God. Trust him. And I know you may say, well, that's easy for you to say, preacher. You're up there. Yeah, that's fine. That's hard. I get it. This man was experiencing something a lot different than what he was expecting. But he knew it, or God knew he was meeting a bigger need. And God will often lead us to a place where we experience something different than what we were expecting so that he can show up and actually give us what we need. See, you may not even actually know what you need. Jesus knew this man needed his sins forgiven more than he did his body healed. So when what you're experiencing, and some of you may be walking through that right now, what you're experiencing this semester is different than what you're expecting. What you're experiencing being in college is different than what you're expecting. What you're experiencing with that friend group is different than what you're expecting. And can I just encourage you tonight to hold on. Hold on and trust Jesus. Because it's oftentimes when you're experiencing what's different than what you were expecting that God shows up in a big way. Hold on and trust him. I think sometimes we need to be reminded that if Jesus never did another good thing for us, if he never healed our bodies, if he never rescued us from the problems that we're going through, if he never did anything else for us, he would still be worthy of our praise because he has rescued us and forgiven our sins. And that alone is a reason to worship him tonight. I want to wrap up here with just two thoughts, two, two thoughts that I kind of feel like I need to go. Um, Rachel, you can come on out. We're going to worship in a little bit if that's okay. What are you going to say? No. Um, so Rachel's going to come out and make me sound really cool. Last night, or not last night, last week we talked about... Um, your purpose. You need to know your purpose. And we said every single one of us, our purpose is to know God and to make him known, right? To know God and to make him known. I know that sounds really simplistic, but it's true. It's to know God and to make him known. That is our purpose. And so how do we make him known? I mean, if you've embraced that, you said, all right, I'm good. I like that. I want that to be my purpose. The question is now, how do we do that? 
How do we make him known? So let me give you two things. One is this, commit to being one of the four. This is how you will make Jesus known here in Statesboro or wherever he takes you. Commit to being one of the four. Get others to Jesus no matter what it takes. Get them to Jesus. I don't know what that means for you, but here's what I do know. I don't think the problem, the problem is not that there's not enough places for people to learn about Jesus. You've got this place, you've got other churches in our community, you've got campus ministries, you've got yourself. You may not need to bring people to church. You may just need to sit down with somebody and say, hey, let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. Sometimes the answer isn't church right away. Sometimes it's just you. You are the answer. I don't know what you have to do, but get people to Jesus no matter what it takes. Be one of the four. The four, I can't, like, how many people walked past this paralytic man on the side of the road and said, sorry, bro, there's no room? Sorry, bro, I got to get in there. And for whatever reason, these four guys said, you know what? Grab a corner. Let's go. We got to get them. We got to get them to Jesus. See, the problem isn't that there's not ways for people to come to Jesus, or the problem is definitely not that Jesus isn't drawing people to himself. The problem, I think, in my mind, is that most of us don't carry enough urgency or passion to care. I mean, that's true of me. I got stuff to do. I got a life to live. I got places to go. I got people to see, right? And so do you. And we can go about our business and sometimes miss or just get too busy to stop and sit down with somebody and say, hey, where are you at? Where are you at with this Jesus thing? Where are you at with faith? How can I help? And I know there's lots of different reasons, and maybe you have reasons for, for why, you know, you're not sharing the gospel with people. And I know some of it's fear. You feel like you're not sure what to say. You're not sure how to answer questions. I know there's lots of reasons, but I want to encourage you tonight. Don't let anything stop you from getting people to Jesus. What if your faith to step out was the catalyst to someone else stepping in? Your faith to step out in boldness, your faith to step out and go, okay, God, I don't know what's going to happen to this. I definitely don't have all the answers. I don't have the theological degrees. I don't, ha- I don't know how to answer some certain questions, but I'm going to step out in faith. What if your faith to step out was the catalyst for letting someone step into the kingdom? Jesus responded to the faith of the four to forgive the man and to heal the man. See, I wonder what links you would go to to get a friend into the presence of Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you're the friend. Maybe some people have gone to great lengths to get you here. Maybe some people tonight are just being good friends and letting you bounce questions off of them, letting you kind of kind of go through this journey of deciding, you know, if you want to follow Jesus or not. Maybe you're that friend. Wherever you're at, whatever difficulty you have to go through to get people to them, step out, do it. Second thing, and then we're done. How do we make him known? How do we make him known? 
we boldly take up our mats. This just jumped out at me, and I felt like I had to share it with you. We boldly take up our mats. I read this here. Verse 10. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, Jesus says this, get up, take your mat, and go home. This blew me away because it reminded me of another story in John chapter 5. Jesus shows up to another paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda, and he heals him, and he does the exact same thing. He tells him, take your mat and go. And I sat there and I thought, what is the purpose of take your mat? I mean, I completely would get it if Jesus was like, hey, you're healed, leave that mat here, and you go on your merry way. You don't need that thing anymore. That thing, that mat, that's old news. That's the old you. That mat, I mean, it probably reminds you of difficulty, probably reminds you your entire life paralyzed. Leave that thing behind and go. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, take your mat with you. And here's what I think he wants to say to you tonight. Some of you have walked through pain, you've walked through struggle, you've walked through difficulty, you've got past mistakes, you've got sin, you've got drama, you've got things from high school, you've got things from last year, you've got things from last week that you regret and you want to leave it behind you. And I think you should. That's great. I get it. I get it. Like leave your past behind and move forward. There's room for that. But the scripture also says, take your mat. And I think what Jesus is trying to say is saying, your mat will remind you of what I've healed you from. And every time you see your mat, you'll be reminded, this is who I was, but God healed me. That's what I used to be. That's what I used to do. That was the chain. Those were the chains that I was in. That was the stuff I was addicted to. And look at me now. Oh, I, I, I may not be where I need to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. And he tells you to take your mat. Because your mat will remind you of what he set you free from. See, I know some of you are in here tonight and you've got stories to tell. You've got a story, you've got a testimony to share of what God's delivered you from. You've got a testimony to share of the goodness of God and how he set you free. And the things that he's done in your life. And I just want to encourage you. You don't have to hold on to the pain. But you can hold on to the fact that you've been delivered. You've been hold on, you can hold on to the fact that Jesus set you free. And even more than hold on, I think you can show it off. Oh, not, not brag about who you were, not brag about what you did and all that kind of stuff, but you can say, look, I gotta tell you something. I gotta tell you the mess that I was in. And look what Jesus did for me. See, whatever that pain is, whatever that hardship is, whatever the thing is that just instantly comes to your mind, that thing you're trying to forget, I want to encourage you, perhaps, perhaps that's the very thing that God would use for you to share with other people. There is never pain wasted with God. There's never hardship wasted. There's never difficulty wasted with God. 
And you don't have to brag about your story and all the pain and the heartache and that kind of thing, but you can hold it up and say, I'm not going to lie. Jesus has rescued me from a lot. And some of the greatest stories we can tell are the personal ones. The ones where you can maybe say, hey, I don't have all the theological answers. I don't know all the scriptures. But I can tell you what I was in, and I can tell you how God set me free. And I can tell you the life that he's given me now. The psalmist writes that he picked me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on a rock. And that's what he's done for some of you. So don't forsake your mat. Don't forsake your mat. He takes what the enemy meant for evil, and he turns it for good. And he can do it in your life. He has done it in some of your lives. So take your mat with you and let it be your story. So I think the Father tonight, Jesus, would say to you, I can heal you. I can forgive you. I can give you a story to tell the story of my goodness, the story of my faithfulness, the story of how I rescue people, and I can use your story. So I just want to invite you. I want to pray tonight, and we're going to close out. But I wanted just to give some time before we leave tonight. You know, sometimes we leave out of here, and we're hype, and we're excited, and last week, go get some donuts, yeah, but sometimes I just feel like it's fitting for us to sit in a moment and just allow you to do business with God, and just to provide a space, I really feel like that's part of who we are, is just providing a space for people to process what God's doing in your life, for you to receive prayer over what God's doing in your life, or maybe your lack of ability to see what God's doing in your life, and you need to see it. And I want to be that, and we want to be that tonight. And so I'm just going to ask Rachel to lead us for a little bit through a song. And we've got some people who are going to come down forward and just part of our prayer team, our leadership team, and just be available for you. If God's stirring something in your heart, if maybe he's stirring something in you that has nothing to do with tonight, but you'd like for someone to pray for you, just encourage you to respond however you see fit. Maybe you want to come forward and ask for prayer. Maybe you want to sit at your chair and just pray yourself. Maybe you want to go across the room and grab a friend and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Hey, I need you to pray for me. However you feel led to respond, I just want to let us kind of sit and respond however we need to for the next few minutes. So let me pray, and then you can do that. Father, I thank you that you are the kind of God who doesn't tell us to run as far as we can from our past, from our mistakes, from our mats. But you say, ah, I'm not scared of that. Take that with you. Let it be a reminder of what I've healed you from. And so, Lord, I just think about the person in the room tonight who Maybe they're doing their best to forget about all that stuff. Just forget and move on. God, I pray that you'd bring healing where it needs to happen. But, Lord, that you would turn their story around. And that you'd bring hope into their story. 
And that, Lord, when that healing takes place, that they would then be able to turn that around and say, look, look what God has done for me. Look how he's changed me. Look how he's rescued me. Father, would this room be filled with those kinds of stories, stories of people who have been set free, stories of people who know they've experienced, they've experienced this Jesus. They know it. So do that in us, we pray. In Jesus' name.